Hey everybody, welcome back to the Chase Doesn't Know podcast. I am very excited for you to hear this episode that I just recorded with my acquaintance and now hopefully friend, Marley Pittman. Marley is, if you don't know who Marley is, first of all, I don't know, you must like have your head under a rock or live outside of Baton Rouge or something because Marley is everywhere. She works for the Mid-City Redevelopment Alliance and with a couple other great groups focused on Mid-City that you will hear about in this episode. But one thing that struck me from seeing Marley on social media and meeting her in passing a couple times is that she is everywhere. She's at all the events, organizing things, setting things up, uh, meeting new people and arranging meetings between people and all the above, which again, you'll hear about shortly. So it was great to have her come by and be gracious enough to talk for a little bit about the things that she's doing and how she does them and her background of how she grew into her current role. We talk a lot about Mid-City, of course. We talk about community organizing and events, uh, but also a lot about her traveling, which she has done a lot of. So if you are a traveler, I think you will enjoy hearing about that. Thank you so much for downloading this episode. As always, if you have listened to every single episode of my podcast, please message me on Instagram, and I will buy you a meal at Raising Cane's, who is also my sponsor for this episode. Without further ado, I hope you enjoy my chat with Marley Pittman. My dog locked me out of my house once. Your dog locked you out of Very your house? Very much, yeah. She ultimately did, in fact, open it again. Wow. Yeah. That is a smart dog. Very dumb dog. Okay, very dumb. <laughs> your dumb luck. <laughs> what kind of dog is it? Pit. So she's oh, okay. like 50 pounds of dumb. Wow. But she just like, she was just jumping. So I was outside with the other dog. I have, two, I have a Yorkie. Oh, okay. And one pit. And I was, wow. And she, so you she have just, two dogs and you talk bad about one of the dogs, but I know. not the other. So you're sharing it. Hopefully they don't listen to this. This will be In fact, actually bad. the pit's probably my favorite. Oh, but right. Okay. Got it. She is in fact. Right. Um, dumb. So you mentioned a second yeah. ago that if I happen to work my way into a topic that may not be great to talk about or my, that, yeah. yeah that you will uh defer mm-hmm. which i then leads me into a question about how you're probably very good at that because uh, especially lately you have been on the news you've been on a magazine cover doing interviews you've been like you're all over the place so like i timed this perfectly by the way this one is, yeah, as this your is, fame um, exponentially <laughs> grows. <laughs> I, this has been a um, a pretty, uh, you know, a pretty heavy month for PR for me, which is just, it's coincidental how that works. You know, some projects are incredibly time consuming and really take it all out of you and nobody notices. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then some projects are super easy and just a no brainer and just like go so smoothly and then everybody notices right. those. Um, so I recently had a mural project that, um, has gotten a lot of great press and a lot of great response from the community, which is always incredibly rewarding. But what's particularly challenging right now about having, you know, uh, uh, engaging a lot like with the media or public is it is election season. Right. So I um, <laughs> I have no comment on any of those types of things okay. because we work very closely with whomever wins whatever election. Right. I deal a lot with city officials, with the mayor's office, with council members. Uh, so I have no opinion. Got it. Okay. Well, let me go thoughts. ahead and erase that part of my notes here. Is so that, we don't, you're going to no, ask me I'm about just it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I mean, you can, I, there's like, yeah, but I can't have an opinion on who right, right. would win because no matter what, 
most of the funding for my projects will come through right. local officials. So. Cool. Um, I actually, you know, Taylor, who, if for anyone listening who doesn't know, Taylor Jacobson painted mm-hmm. the amazing mural that you organized and set up, which I want to ask you about. He also sure. painted our wall in here, the, oh, really? the elephant wall back here. Yep. Oh, wait, I think I saw him on Instagram doing okay, that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also I have to thank you and Taylor again, because I stopped by one day when he was out painting and mm-hmm. like took a picture for the elephant social media just to kind of promote it and like it exploded. So really, well, I'm for happy that. that I could get you the likes, <laughs> That's right, which is what we're me. doing this for. Exactly. That's we're only doing it for the <laughs> likes and nothing else. No. Um, so I want to ask about a lot about Mid City Redevelopment yeah, sure. and like the actual and I don't you probably haven't listened to any of these episodes, but I do like to quote unquote go into the weeds. So. Oh. We're going, don't give me like the PR answers of stuff. Oh. Give, I want to talk about like the real, I'm really good at those. real you are really good, <laughs> which only, which I assume would only make you better at explaining the actual day to day. Those do not correlate. Just, okay. Not at all. That's I, right. I, I do know some of the day to day stuff, uh, okay. but if we get really into, uh, it's, I'm certainly not as practiced at it. You know, affordable housing is a dull topic. Absolutely not. I'll, CDBG funds. I, no Chodo. topic is dull. No topic is dull. No. We can we can explore it, and okay. especially with somebody like you who can explain it so well, it'll be interesting. I'm sure. We'll we'll try. So start. Let's start with Mid City Redevelopment mm-hmm. Alliance. Yep. Is that a nonprofit? It is. We are okay. a five hundred one c three. Which means you can save on your taxes if right. you donate to us, which is really all that means. Um, so we're a nonprofit. We are uh, the city's oldest still standing community development nonprofit created to like address a specific region. Okay. Wow. Um, back in the nineties when nationwide, uh, suburban flight was a thing. People were abandoning downtowns and semi-urban areas to live in the suburbs. Um, several different community development organizations were created around downtown. And then Mm -hmm. just like, so all in Scotlandville, South Baton Rouge, mid city, uh, there were a bunch of community development nonprofits, I think like eight or so, uh, but we are still around. Uh, we're very proud of that. The um, only one still around? We Of the eight or so? Uh, yeah, I think we would have to, I'd have to fact check how many there were, but we are the only one that's still around. Um, but there are new groups that have come up in those areas mm-hmm. that are doing great work. Um, you know, the North Baton Rouge Economic Development Authority, uh, you know, the CDC in Scotlandville, uh, is, is, she's an absolutely lovely individual, Pat Ledef, who's running that. Uh, and there's some great groups in, in Old South as well. So there are still some people who are addressing those needs. I just think that those groups have evolved, maybe fallen by the wayside for other groups to come up. Um, so that is not to say that people aren't doing great work there. Right. But if people are doing better work than the previous, then it's good that those groups are coming up, right? Yeah, that's that's it. I think um, (laughs) those you know those communities are changing a lot. We uh, we were also incredibly lucky that we had the support of the Baton Rouge General early on, so that like allowed us to come you know to move from this like little baby Mm -hmm. fledgling organization to now an organization that can be the recipient of like large scale federal grants and that kind of thing. Okay, cool. Which you know and you know ensures our sustainability. So what is actually the goal of the redevelopment i know like you know developing a certain like, part of town yeah, but we like, have like what a specific all does that mission. involve uh so basically we do four main things we actually build affordable homes we build housing okay um, and so we, you're out there like swinging hammers like you you're out there building i have swung a hammer from nice. the city redevelopment okay. it is not my typical 8 a.m activity okay. we you know we work with like contractors <laughs> right. um and then we'll also like work with like out of town you know like gulf coast housing you know corporation which specialize in affordable housing and we'll be their local partner on the ground as they do things like 
Elysian Fields or Corona or some of these bigger developments uh, in Mid-City. But we, in fact, do work directly with contractors to build homes okay. and sell them at cool. affordable rates. Cool. So that's one, that's a big piece of what we do. We have education all around that. So we have a homeownership center that does financial counseling, credit repair, getting people ready to purchase their first home. We do resident engagement, which is kind of where I come in. So that is, you know, we believe that community development, the difference between community development that's gentrification and community development that is, you know, great for the people that live there is that it's resident led. So that's, we have, we do training programs for residents. We take residents to out of, you know, to nationwide trainings. We provide neighborhoods with dollars to do community improvement projects like the pocket park mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. Um, the poet corners, you know, like the street signs, like those yeah, are yeah. all funded projects uh, okay. by our organization. And then uh, we, you know, we work with volunteers and we bring them to the area. And then our, our last, um, our last line of business is home preservation. So we prevent, you know, we do foreclosure prevention, we rehab homes, and we we have an entire team devoted to making sure that people are not kicked out of or forced out of their neighborhood just because okay. it's becoming unaffordable in Mid-City. Right, got it. It is becoming pretty expensive for sure mm-hmm. as someone who recently was viewing the housing market. It is. Um, I'm born and raised in Mid-City, mm-hmm. so my parents, grandparents have all lived here. And What street did you grow up on? So I grew up at the corner of Goodwood and Audubon. Okay. Um, and, you know, my family bought that house for like a... Oh, there goes the light. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, should I wait? No, that's good. Okay. I don't I don't edit this after, really. I just like... I just, this whole conversation, yeah. just post it. Let it ride. So this whole thing, this whole thing right now with the pause... This is it. ...that Carl pulled the, the thing out of the wall and we lost our light. This is yeah. all in the podcast. But at least now we know it was Carl's fault, not... It, it wasn't our fault, for sure. I'm just we sitting should, okay. here talking. Did you want to come and make a cameo <laughs> as we insult you? <laughs> Carl, Carl... Thank you so much for all that you do here. He's an easy target, and he normally plugs in his mic, but he hasn't for the last couple episodes. Oh. So maybe he will later. We'll see. Yeah. So you grew up Goodwood and Ottoman. <laughs> I did. Um, and you know, we bought that house for a hundred something thousand. Okay. And like that, you know, right. That is not what that's not what it's worth now. No, that's not. It has changed a lot Mm -hmm. in my lifetime. Um, and it has become, you know, I'm almost displaced. It's become unaffordable for me to afford a house in the neighborhood I grew up in. Mm -hmm. So that's fun. But you know, like we're like, that's why we do the affordable housing. That's why we do home preservation services and all that, you know, and prepare low income, families to buy homes and help them to save for down payment and and even provide down payment assistance for them so cool okay we do all that fun stuff that sounds like a lot of fun stuff and what important what is like give me like the region or the boundaries of mid-city this is contested like the official i I want the official answer so there is no official answer take this opportunity to establish the okay just (laughs) establish what i think it is (laughs) whatever marley says in the next few seconds is the law it's um, so mid city redevelopment has a different, has a wider view because we're focused on neighborhoods. Okay. So um, I can like I have a little map that I oh, made okay. in ArcGIS. I could send your way, but um, so great. we like the train tracks is our um, our eastern border all the way down. You know, basically the inter you know like interstate and Perkins line. So like okay. Hundred Oaks, Webb right, Park. Right, that's right. all. Goodwood, then like up Lobdell, and then, you know, basically including all of Florida and then up to Choctaw again. So, okay. so that's pretty big. Eden Park, parts of Gus Young, 
um, Capitol Heights, Coors, Bernard Terrace, Goodwood. It is, it's pretty big. We have uh, 40,000 residents in Mid-City. We are um, the most racially diverse, self-identified community in the Baton Rouge Parish region. Okay. Um, which comes with its own colorful set of opportunities. <laughs> That's, that was another question that I had is why is Mid-City so hip? Like what make is it is that the reason why it's like got all the cool stuff have art and music and nice houses and some new hip businesses yeah. and people on bikes and stuff French truck coffee yeah that's new I that's a really I honestly kind of asked myself that question too because when I was growing up that was not really I mean Mid City was not known for that they were known for crime or right. some of those types of things yeah. um. I, so my best guess, and that's really what it is, is we, we had those organizations because of the Baton Rouge General back in the 90s doing this type of work. We applied to be Baton Rouge's first arts and cultural district, which is an official designation from the state. Okay. And we were one of the first arts and cultural districts in the state. Last year was our 10-year anniversary. Wow. So because of that, um, which was probably just a bid to get anything happening in this like abandoned region, like, oh, that seems like something <laughs> we could do. Um, not really necessarily reflective of this like great arts and cultural community that existed at the time. Uh, we did get a lot of funding for the arts and murals and things like that. Um, but even back, I mean, so white, we had our first semi first white light night. It wasn't called that at the time, but our first art hop, gosh, back in the early 2000s. So that was a long time ago. Okay. Um, were you here? You were here then. I lived in mid city then, but I was young yeah okay what, what give me just quickly what year did you because i want to talk about this later but yeah. what year did you move away from baton rouge i moved away in 20 well i moved away off and on starting in 2012 okay and then um, you, and i left and moved away in 2016 and you've been with the redevelopment alliance since, since i returned yeah okay got it cool yeah i did a short stint in like disaster recovery working alongside mid-city redevelopment and then hopped over um a short time after that when i returned okay got it Cool. Mm -hmm. Um, sweet. So the, I do want to ask about your specific job Yeah. at like, what is your community re relations, right? Is that mm -hmm. the title? That's, it. That's the official okay. title. Um, but that is a catch all for whatever needs like, to be all done. things <laughs> like mid city specific. So I'm on the board of mid city merchants and mid city Graw. I mm -hmm. work directly with all of the different mid city neighborhoods. I do like outreach. I oversee marketing and communications for the organization. Although I have a great coordinator, uh, Symphony, who who works for me and does her name is Symphony. Her name is Symphony. That's a cool name. Yeah, Very she's cool. a she's a cool lady. Um, she does lots of great work. She actually just finished her first mural project, which I was so proud nice. of, at Millennial Park on Florida. Yep. Okay. Um, so uh, so I have a lot of help with that. So I do all of those types of things. But in general, my job is really relationship building in the mid city community. So trying to be a part of multiple conversations so that I can bring those people and those projects together. Okay. Um, and make sure that, you know, we're not really duplicating anything, that everybody knows everybody, we're all working well. And so you just talk to people all day. I do talk to people all day. So the, I'm sorry to make you continue to do that I after 6 p.m. But <laughs> that's <laughs> Most good. of my talking happens after 6 p.m. Most resident meetings are after 6 p.m. anyway, okay. so it doesn't. We, like, meet at Radio Bar and talk projects. Love it. That's so. where I first met you, was at Radio Bar. Really? Yeah, well, for the plugging. Uh, oh, for the plugging right, thing. for yep. the plugging, yeah. Yep. We, um, we've got to do Mid-City church wants to do a plugging on convention street nice i gotta pull that together cool let me know if i can help 
Yeah, I would love I to. Will. Um, yeah, so that you mentioned before we started, I don't think it's going to be. I don't think we officially started till after you mentioned this. But you mentioned that there's eleven or ten people working at eleven people. I'm about to be twelve. Hopefully. Okay, so I did want to ask you because my uh, impression of you, I guess, from meeting you. Uh, and then working with you a little bit on the plugging and then just seeing you on social media and stuff is that you are always working or maybe not always working, but you're always like involved. You're always doing stuff. You're always like, at these, like I saw you the other day at the Maker's Market event randomly. And I'll be there again this Saturday. Oh, there's another one this Saturday? Another one this See, Saturday. Yeah. Like I don't keep up as much as I should. But so you're, you're always doing stuff. So is that true? Do you feel like that? And then is that a perfect sync with your personality like you've just been always doing that or uh or do you have to pull from deep from the from deep down deep sometimes to do it um so i will say that was always true until covid and i have had a really huge shift in my life since okay. covid okay. um because before covid i mean it was every evening every weekend there are community events our neighborhood activities be nice is happening makers markets neighborhood meet i mean just it it honestly felt constant mm -hmm. um and I really love it because I love everybody I work with. I love everybody who lives in Mid-City. Um, well, you can't love everybody, but I'll take your I, word for it. <laughs> I, you know, there are, like in every community, there's, you know, not everybody is best friends, but mm -hmm. I, um, I just think it is so incredibly special because I'm the only one that gets paid to do this. Mm. Right? That's true, like right. every single person who's organizing these events, who I work alongside, who I show up to support their activity, they are all volunteering their time mm -hmm. for absolutely no reason beyond the fact that they care about Mid-City. And I just, that like, that warms my heart. So every time I get tired, I think like, they don't even have to do this. Mm -hmm. Like, so it, it's like incredibly, so that's why when I say like, I love everybody in Mid-City I get to work with, it's because I know that every single one of them, like, how many times can you say that you get to work with people who only choose to do this because they love it? Right. Yeah. Not and like how much better there, would sure. your life be? Right. Some people are thinking right now about the people they work with and how miserable they, they look whenever they do their job and stuff like that. But <laughs> so maybe that, maybe that's the, one of the answers to the question yeah. of earlier of why mid city is so hopping is because yeah. everybody so loves it many people and that is care. contributing. I just, it, it blows my mind. Like why? Mm-hmm. But they do, you know, it's a special little, I think it's maybe because it is a special little oyster in Baton Rouge. I think Mid-City has served as the home for the, for the strange and for the unique of the Baton Rouge, you know, East Baton Rouge Parish. And I think that that's really, I think that's really special. And I think a yeah, lot of cool. people who live in Mid-City feel that that's special. Right. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, so what's your favorite Mid-City event? You have to select one. <laughs> oh, I don't know if I can do that. I will say. Right, give me your favorite three, maybe. <laughs> um, I think the Ogden Park Prowl holds a special place in my park. Yeah. I think that they'd probably be surprised to hear me say that. But they really, like, I think, um, you know, because Ogden Park Prowl is truly a neighborhood-led event that has, like, reached, like, a like a real level of prominence. So I really love mm -hmm. that. Um, I really love Mid-City Girl, which is an event that I that I help in my small way to pull off, but that is a group of kooky people that love <laughs> mid city and I, that, you know, that's always really heartwarming, but they're having some really cool discussions right now about like, 
diversity in Mid-City, and they're one of the few events in Mid-City that, um, that goes on North Boulevard, right? One side of North Boulevard being predominantly black and one mm. side of North Boulevard being predominantly white. And their event is the most diverse event in Mid-City. Cool. And it's, uh, it's, it's interesting to see. Nice. We don't get a lot of that, so. Um, what, what has, like, the, you mentioned, like, a shift in, in your stuff since COVID started. I'm assuming that was for the better, hopefully. It's just different. Yeah. I will say that I think it was, it's honestly, well, in some ways, you know, like everybody else, my life has completely exploded and imploded right. because of COVID and, um, and everything is falling apart around us. But uh, the, the lack of community events has like allowed me to have this like, it's like the first time I've had like two Saturdays in a row where I'm not working. Really? So it's like, it's been kind of nice. That's good. Yeah. In that's some good. ways. Uh, but I'm I'm honestly ready to go back. I'm ready for White Light Night. I'm ready to be back at my, you know, at La Coretto on every Tuesday for Bernard Terrace and um, curbside with Capitol Heights. And mm-hmm. So I have so all the events were shut down. All the events, all the neighborhood meetings, everything. Have y'all have y'all have some of them started to come back yet? We actually sent out to our newsletter a survey about White Light Night. Uh, no oh, decisions okay. have officially been made, but we are surveying kind of people who are like core in Mid-City about what they want to see happen there. Cool. Um, so if you have an opinion. I would love to see it. Open all of them back up. Let's do it. Yeah? That's my opinion. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> White Light Night is, is it supposed to be when? Is, is it It's normally? always the... We always have this announcement, but you could look at a calendar and know when it's going to be. White Light Night is always the Friday before Thanksgiving. Okay. I was going to say November. So Yeah, I think November correct. 22nd this year. November 22nd. Sweet. Although we haven't made the official announcement. so Right. Pending that. Pending I think, that, I think yeah. I will, this will post next, not this coming Monday, but the next Monday. So Maybe like, there'll be an announcement by then. Maybe. Or maybe so. it can be here. Follow. What's the Mid-City? Is it, what's the website? So that's Mid-City Merchants. M- Oh, that, right. But the redevelopment website is? Midcityredevelopment.org. Okay. And Midcity Merchants is midcitymerchants.org. Although, I'll tell you what, I um, we're about to have a new website at Midcity Merchants, which Sweet. I'm very excited about. 368, which is a marketing firm in mm-hmm. Midcity. Yep. Um, Kenny and Jeremy and all of them are killing it on donating what has to be thousands of dollars worth oh, of time wow. that's awesome completely donated to the mid-city community that's and creating awesome. like a new website for people to like learn about mid-city artists and mid-city local businesses and community events that's gonna be super cool i Can't yeah i've just that. been blown away like blown away by the quality of their work so that's really cool and they are a business in they mid-city. are a local business in mid-city yep. um and they're killing it so so what is uh what is like what do you see as the importance of local because i mentioned mm to okay so just a slight backstory here from again from me looking at your facebook and linkedin and things like that because we've met before but Mm -hmm. we haven't like spoken at length about anything but so you lived and grew up in baton rouge and then left for a while and i think that whenever we were emailing you said something i got the feeling that maybe you're thinking you would move away and not return that was definitely my plan right but you have returned welcome back um and i've lived here my whole life but not in baton rouge i've lived in zachary for the first part and central for the next part and then denim most recently so what do you feel is i guess the importance of you know, like meeting your neighbor and, and working on local things. And I mean, your middle name is local. So give me your thoughts on that. I think, um, I think COVID has actually showed us why like local community support matters so much. And I don't just mean like shopping local, which 
matters. Um, but knowing your neighbor can be such an like incredibly powerful thing. When you know your neighbors, you're more likely to clean up after yourself. You're more likely to keep your home. Foreclosure rates go down when you know your neighbors. Mm-hmm. Um, crime goes down when you know your neighbors. I mean, there's an incredible amount of studies that show that your mental health is better. Uh, your uh, ability to stay in a house long-term is better. Your educational outcomes of your children is better. Like all of these things when you have like a neighborhood and like a a niche that you feel a part of. Mm. Um, And I could really go off into like a long tangent about, you know, that whole, you know, now that like religion has, has died, this is like a really popular kind of conversation in the late, you know, 20th century you know, what is going to replace religion as this, like, unifying factor in communities, um, like, giving us, like, a sense of belonging. Mm-hmm. And I think in some ways your neighborhood is incredibly important for that. You know, local business owners that you know personally that invest in your kid's soccer team that you feel comfortable going to when you are in a bad spot or whatever else, um, that sense of community, that sense of belonging is necessary for human existence, in my opinion. Right. Cool. Well said. And by the way, you're welcome to go on any long tangents that you would like. <laughs> we have until I think 7:59. Is that right? You need a minute. That's what. A minute well, to I probably need like at least like five minutes <laughs> okay, to like hop it. over to doggy daycare. But um, I think it's the 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 book I'm referring to is that Bowling Alone, which is really popular when I was in college. Bowling Alone. I think it's called Bowling Alone. I'm we did have a brief conversation about books right before we started yeah. and established that neither one of us are great readers, but I I've used never heard to be of... a good reader. Um, but yes, Bowling Alone, Bowling for One. It was a really kind of famous political science, okay. sociology, whatever book that came out at the late 20th century, early 21st century. And it was like this, like what is going to happen to modern world now that we are so separate and now that we don't have like religion or like common understandings of family dynamics and divorce rates and like all of these things that make us feel alone. Hmm. And even now, like they're, you know, England is really on the forefront of this doing like all of these incredible amounts of studies about how alone people feel and how that impacts suicide, drug abuse, Mm -hmm. all of these, you know, poor financial choices, the ability to like be scammed, the ability for people to respond in the wake of a disaster. I think Baton Rouge knows and the surrounding areas know how incredibly important knowing your neighbors is Mm -hmm. when responding to a disaster. Mm -hmm. So... I could really go on. <laughs> it's great. I mean, I welcome all of it. Um, yeah, my I mentioned that we had an emergency, not emergency, slight emergency at our, at our house, yeah. and our neighbor was the one that let a, uh, my wife use their landline phone, I think. I know, right? Landline to call they still me. still offer those. <laughs> yeah, I never, we had one when, until maybe I was about 15 or something, and then we got rid of it. Anyways. Yeah. Um, so give me some background. Okay. You, um, again, I saw a bunch of interesting things on your LinkedIn. So you, you're like maxed I, out on LinkedIn. So good job. It looks thank amazing. You. I, um, but, I, I think to myself, I should be more active. Like I don't post. Well, I mean, I like, you're, like I can see on your, you know, like all of hmm, the jobs and all of the education. That, yeah. Um, and Carl made a, a joke earlier about you being a scholar, but you are legit a scholar. Well, please explain. <laughs> she has like that's a bold statement. I don't know if I would say that. I have worked in policy um, and policy research. So, well, but I'm, I'm referring to your 
Oh, I yes, yes, I actually do. Had some awards, did a video. I saw like a video, LSU video, yeah, promoting that, your yeah. achievements. Ooh, you really dug into Google. Of course, I gotta you know do oh, some no. uh, do some exploring. I am, I am, um, I am imminently Googleable. Um, <laughs> I, which honestly is typically pretty embarrassing, but yeah, I am a Truman Scholar. Right. So that is an official uh, title by the U.S. government. Um, That's pretty awesome. It was it was an incredibly rewarding, and it was you know one of my prouder moments. It it doesn't impact my day to day life because there's not a, like a lot of local recognition in Louisiana. Nationwide, that is a much bigger deal. Like so, mm-hmm. when I was working in D.C. doing policy work, that was um, a known kind of thing there, and that mm-hmm. meant a lot. And that was how I ended up even getting a job being from Louisiana and an LSU grad, <laughs> which is love LSU, incredible university, had a great time there. The honors colleges incredible highly recommend but you know dc can be a little right full of harvard grads right um but a little snobby maybe we can say that well educated and the expectation is that everybody is Mm -hmm. you know goes to harvard and yale uh which are great schools as well i'm sure for sure uh (laughs) but yeah so i am a truman scholar which is really great uh for those who are not familiar with that they pick um one junior you know, college student in every state to give them basically a full ride to graduate school and some other, you know, you know, lovely gifts and things like the accolades. Um, So is it like an application thing? Are you nominated? Oh, it was miserable. Please tell me. I want to know all about it. (laughs) We're going to work our way through what you've done. um, Gosh, it's been a long time since I applied. I have helped a couple of people. I've actually successfully helped a couple of people even receive their own Truman Scholarship. Do you get like people emailing you like, hey, I saw you're a Truman Scholar. Can you help me? Yeah, I get that a lot. That's actually the most common LinkedIn email I get. Really? Yes. (laughs) I always get the spam ones like, please purchase my products. But that's way way cooler. It's like real people actually messaging you. Maybe I'm getting those. I just don't notice. Yeah, probably. Um, yeah, so basically what has to happen first is, at least at LSU, universities do a little bit differently, but at LSU, you have to apply to the university because only every university, a university has to be an approved university to apply to the government, you know, it's a government scholarship. Okay. And then they can only nominate four people. What sucks is, or I shouldn't say what sucks, but what can be challenging is that Louisiana students have to compete in Texas. Why is that? Uh, because they are grouped by, that way. So like Alabama oh, and Mississippi okay. are together. So okay, which isn't it. a big deal necessarily for Alabama and Mississippi, right. but for Louisiana students to have to compete in Texas because they, you know, they then have two to three, typically because Texas is so big, they'll give out two to three scholarships in oh, Texas. Oh, so it's four between Louisiana and Texas. No, no, no. It's two to, or three between Louisiana and Texas. Oh, okay. So, I mean, one can imagine that yeah. Louisiana doesn't always get one. Right. Very low chance. Um. So this is, um, and you mentioned junior. This is, you're a mm-hmm. junior in high school? College. Oh, a junior in college. Yeah. And that's when you can apply and then get nominated and, okay. Yeah. So I think there's like four phases. <clears throat> you apply to university. Uh, the university does like extensive interviews and all types of stuff. Then you um, you work with a faculty advisor at LSU. I worked with Drew LaMonica Arms um, at, through the Honors College. Incredible lady. Um, has been so amazingly successful at getting LSU students, Rhodes scholarships, Marshall scholarships, and Truman scholarships. And those are the big three scholarships you can get in college. Okay. Rhodes, Marshall, Truman. Um, Who's very, Marshall? I've heard of the other two. 
Uh, Marshall is very similar. Rhodes, you can only go to Oxford. Marshall, you can go to any UK university. There is like oh, some okay. NEA, some science-specific ones that I'm not as familiar with, but those are the three open to any kind of okay. uh, student. Um, but Marshall, I mean, Rhodes is typically considered the best of the three. Rhodes, okay. Rhodes, Rhodes yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that's like, a, I've heard of the the Truman and the Rhodes, mm-hmm. but Rhodes, obviously, I've heard, like, is more well-known, I guess. So, it is. Yeah. Oh, we've had a, a couple presidents and stuff go through right. the Rhodes yeah, Scholarship. So that's, that's a thing. It's pretty important. <laughs> um, not our current one. Um, no. <laughs> not him. <laughs> just the fact. Uh, so, you know, then you do that, then... Oh, so many revisions of that application. You do so many like mock interviews and you have like, there's a, um, a cocktail hour and like a dinner wow. that you have to like. So you were training for like your job. Early in on. T- <laughs> <laughs> we just, if it, we just jumped back in. Cause again, I don't edit. So we just came back on. We had to flip. I'm sorry. You really don't edit. Well, I do, but okay. <laughs> yeah, it's just cause I'm lazy. Not cause I don't know how. Uh, but so we just start, we just hit recording and we had to switch the SD card. Um, but we were talking about your education, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, also in your LinkedIn page, I'll keep referencing your LinkedIn page. Thank you, LinkedIn. Uh, there was something about some university or something where like you studied Arabic. Yeah. So the reason I got the Truman scholarship was because of the extensive amount of time I'd spent abroad, which I think was okay. kind of unique for a Louisiana girl. Um, she suppose it was my, you know, my shtick, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, so I had lived in, I spent um, a summer in China, then I lived in Southeast Asia for a while, and then I uh, moved to Jordan, Wow. where I studied Arabic. Okay. Um, and in Southeast Asia, I was studying Islamic law. Wow. Okay, cool. So if you have Islamic law related, like Sharia questions, yeah. um, I can I don't answer even all of those. know what to I've ask. I've read the Quran. Okay. Sits in my house, so really? it's obviously not relevant to anything I do now. <laughs> it's like I have all of this knowledge that right so i uh another interesting thing which i'll keep referencing i guess because i mm-hmm. looked at I follow, we're friends on facebook and stuff mm-hmm. but a kind of a funny thing that i saw that happens to you from what i can see that has also happened to me i went to, uh, to iraq for a, uh, a week my brother-in-law oh, wow. moved to iraq for like a year and so we went over there when they went over there um so we like met a bunch of people and stuff and what I, uh, what has happened to me that's kind of funny is some of the people that I met over there will like want to friend me on Facebook and then just randomly out of nowhere, they'll like comment on something or whatever. So I, I happened to be looking at your Facebook and saw, I saw a couple of pictures of you mm. like that looked like the Middle East. So I was like, that's very cool. And then also a couple of random comments from your friends over there. So I, I thought it was pretty funny. <laughs> There's a pretty even mix. I will say, though, that, you know, I was there long enough that I really actually, you know, I do have people that I consider yeah. friends. Actually, I um because I was, especially when I was, when I lived in Jordan, I lived with a family there, um, and they might actually end up watching this, and they're great, <laughs> super sweet people. I need to call them back, actually. They called me a couple weeks ago. But anyway, so, like, I do have... Um, I do have like friends over there that I actually still talk to pretty frequently and, and miss, and they are great people. I also, um, there's a little bit of a, a, a situation where, um, particularly as a female in some of these communities, right. um, I get some attention oh, right. that of maybe course, I'm not like right. s- super interested in, but that is not to say that 
all of the people who are commenting on my stuff. Actually, some of those people I am I would consider really good friends awesome. of mine, and um, were super lovely people and helped me out a lot when I couldn't figure out how in the heck to get around. Right. Or, <laughs> you know, they don't have addresses. Um, really? In like Middle East and Southeast Asia. Yeah. So if you're going to get around, you need to be able to explain in mm. that language, like how to get somewhere. So I would say the Arabic I know the most is direction related and ordering coffee. Okay. All right. So, so can you please demonstrate some maybe ordering coffee? I don't know. I, <laughs> Um, my Arabic is really rusty. I don't, I don't. It, it literally, I would have no idea. I would, I would be the last person to be able to judge your Arabic. Um, you could just like oh, say shoot, a bunch of I random stuff. Like I'd be impressed for this. Um, actually, you know, the, the Arabic I remember, I know the Arabic <laughs> I remember the most is like Islamic related Arabic. Um, because like I like religious prayers and stuff. Um, yeah, maybe I could remember a prayer. Um, but there's like some like roh is to go and um it's like that's a religious thing okay. um nice i don't know i i should have like i should have guessed <laughs> you might ask me this kind of question and now i'm like i said anything and everything I is know. on the table and you told me before like anything and everything i know now i'm like <laughs> i don't want to like <laughs> my arabic teachers are also my friends on facebook uh, <laughs> no they might see this and be like wow i'm so disappointed like, i spent so much time with her right <laughs> So where you, so you, in, cause I saw on your LinkedIn, like Jordan university, mm -hmm. but I had no idea that it was like in Jordan. So mm -hmm. how long were you there and went to that school? I lived in Southeast Asia longer than I lived in Jordan. Um, but I was in Jordan for about a semester and okay. then a semester and a summer, but I also went to Saudi Arabia, Turkey, Egypt, awesome. Uh, before and after, um, which were incredibly rewarding experiences of anywhere. Cause people typically ask me this, like, where would I go back? Mm -hmm. Cause I've been to so many different countries. Um, I would definitely go back to Turkey. That was the prettiest. Turkey. Yeah. It was really, really, really beautiful. And the food was so good. Like you would, you would be on the Mediterranean, you would go and haggle for fish with a farmer mm -hmm. and I didn't really, I don't speak Turkish. It's a completely different language, but at the time I knew pretty, I was pretty good at my Arabic and a lot of the fishermen are actually Arab. Okay. Um, or at least speak Arabic. Um, so we would haggle for the fish and then we would, you would carry your own fish to the restaurant and then they would prepare it there. Dang, that's cool. So it was really fresh. It was really delicious and it was beautiful. I mean the Roman ruin, there are Roman ruins there, right? I mean that was wow, all, yeah. Yeah. but there's no, there's no rope, there's no pedestal, there's no tour guides, there's no people with flags <laughs> with a whole bunch of tour group behind them. It's just like like wildflowers growing over these old Roman ruins and you're there by yourself. That's Because cool. like nobody wants to go to Turkey these days. Right. Beautiful. That's Would awesome. recommend. So, all right, so I feel like I want to back up some. Okay. Because uh, there's <laughs> like, I know that I had found or figured that you had traveled a lot based on, again, your social profile. Um, so where, where did you like go first and like, how did you, was it studying abroad mainly or, or is that the main? Okay. So mainly, um, my first time ever leaving the country, mainly I hadn't even gone to Mexico. My first time ever leaving the country was to go to China. Okay. So I was there for a month and some change. Um, and what was, what did you go for? I actually went on like a very organized honors college okay, trip. Got so it, we got like, it. we lived in an apartment there. We went to a university there, but I was with a group of students. Um, and that was my first time. And that was, I mean, we were in Shanghai. I partied the whole time. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, they, there's, you know, maybe not as many women there. So right. like, ooh, free drinks. It was a lot of fun. Um, and probably not very many American women. No, there's a lot of American businessmen there. Right. I mean, obviously. Yeah. Um, 
I also saw my first alligator in a club. Alligator? Mm-hmm. Live and alligator. A, it was in a fish tank. I mean, it was a tiny one. Oh, uh, that's still pretty awesome, though. It was cool. A live alligator. It might have been a crocodile. I have no ability to tell the difference. Did you, like, reach in and pull it out and tell Absolutely everyone that you were no. very familiar with these animals? Mm-hmm. No? Okay. All right. There actually Worth is an shot. assumption, though, that we have, like, alligators on the streets in Louisiana, which mm-hmm. I haven't seen. You haven't seen an alligator in Louisiana? I mean, I haven't seen them on the streets. Okay. Well, yeah, right. Of course. Not on the streets. No. no. Yeah. I mean, I've seen, like... Right. Wild. Yeah. Have you been to the alligator pet farm? No. Okay. I went when I was a kid. It, random tangent here. But, I went to Turkey, but not the right. alligator farm. Much before. cooler than the alligator farm. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think um, sometimes I feel like I've missed out on that quintessential like Louisiana stuff. You didn't, you didn't miss out. The... It sounds... No, I, I think... Um, I really do think so. I And I will say this is another interesting kind of observation is there is a lot of similarities between like like the family structures and the culture that I would see maybe in the Middle East mm-hmm. in Louisiana, mm-hmm. much more so than like when I lived in like D.C. Right. Yeah. I it's, can imagine that. Yeah. We went, that's what when we were in, uh, well, so I do uh, a lot of work with a ministry that works in China. Yeah. And oh, so. Where, where have you been? Uh, Beijing and Shanghai. That's uh, really cool. And Hong Kong yeah. for a little bit. But that's what, uh, but yeah, so like seeing some of that culture and then visiting Iraq once, it's like, yeah, there's a lot more conservative and traditional type mm. things happening. It's like family centered. Yeah, you which know, family is good. Community centered. Yeah, there's absolutely, I mean, nothing. That's not a dig at all. There's, it's a real, it's like a family, traditional centered, community focused culture, which mm-hmm. I think is absolutely beautiful. But it is interesting to me that there might be more similarities with somebody yeah. who lives in Amman than there might be with somebody who lives in <laughs> Brooklyn. <laughs> right. Yeah, that is true. Um, so you, so the first trip was China with a bunch of other folks. Yep. Uh, and then what was the first trip that you went by yourself? Uh, Malaysia. I, um, I, my friend and I went. We, I, sorry, I did have one friend with me to Malaysia. The okay. first, f- first time I flew abroad like from America to abroad, because once I was there, you know, I try, I made friends, you know, who lived there or who were international students themselves and would go and travel with them. But the first time I ever flew abroad by myself was to Jordan all wow. by myself, which was, wow. Was An actually, American, to be stereotypical, American woman driving, I mean, uh, flying by herself into Jordan. Yeah. And I had taken Arabic for years, but it turns out, uh, Jordanian Arabic is called Amiya. The, like, it's a difference between Fusha so, like, if I'm talking, I can speak Arabic, but if you put me on the spot, Fusha <laughs> is, like, formal Arabic, written Arabic, like okay. what you would learn in a university. Amiya is, like, a dialect, but it's very different. I mean, okay. it's a, an entirely different language, and then every country has their own Amiya. So, uh, Jordanian Amiya is, like, was, I didn't understand anything anybody was saying. I was so <laughs> upset. It was super late at night. I got in the taxi cab. They were, like... There's no address. Like I didn't. Like I gave them what I was told was an address. Turns out there's no addresses, no addresses in the Middle yeah. East. I don't know why they gave me that made up <laughs> set of numbers, and I didn't know how to get anywhere. It was absolutely miserable. Um, we drove around in circles for a really long time, but turns out like I figured it out. So that was absolutely. So you miserable. didn't sleep and on I, the street that night. I I thought I was. <laughs> I have slept on the street abroad really? several times. Wow. <laughs> uh, and in bus stations and other places that I wouldn't that I wouldn't now when I think back about like what I did as an 18 year old kid. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I did not, we figured it out. I did end up sending that evening in the police station though. But okay. That was a whole other thing. Um, it, but we, that sounds we, like there's a story <laughs> behind that. 
Turns out the taxi cab driver I was with wasn't even a taxi cab driver. <laughs> wow. Everything went to hell in a handbasket. But I made it. Um, That's good. And I was staying with the family there. Um, and they were incredibly nice. Uh, and this, this was, and you were going there to study at the university? Yeah, I was going okay. there to study at the university. Got it, got so it. I was um, basically, they had like a little like mother-in-law suite. And I stayed there um, and I shared the, the little mother-in-law suite with a Palestinian woman who, um, just because you're born in a certain country does not mean that you're like, so she was born in Jordan and had lived her whole life in Jordan in a village called Rumtha, which is right on the Syrian border. But technically her family several generations ago was from Palestine. Okay. Interesting. Palestine. Right. Cool. Um, and so I'm curious why you're telling me this is, is like you, was it, was this like you just kind of wanted to get away from Baton Rouge from like your childhood town and explore or, what, what was like, I mean, this is like a bunch of random places that, that you went yeah. and not just visited like for vacation, but like lived there with people that you had never met. So, yeah, I, I mean, which is awesome. I don't know. But it's very I, uncommon. It's for someone from Louisiana. I it is say. a little uncommon for somebody from Louisiana, especially the way I, I did it, um, which was just so much more difficult than it needed to be. I know. Illegal track taxi drivers sounds very tough. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I think I just, I think I wanted to experience something different. I think I really wanted to try something. And I think it's a little stubborn. So he told me that that was just dumb. Um, shame on those people. Well. Unless it was your uh, parents, not shame on them. No, yeah. They're great people. No, yeah, they are great people. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. I think I just wanted to try. And then once I had the bug, right? So like once yeah, I yeah, kind yeah. of had stepped out, I was like, oh, I've got to get more of this. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, <clears throat> the only affordable places to travel are you know, countries that are in the midst of developing. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so can you please give me your opinion on the importance of traveling? Because I very much relate to your uh, statement about getting the bug because mm -hmm. I had a chance to go, uh, like, you know, across the world, not just to California or whatever, but yeah. to a totally different culture. And it very, it, it is like very addicting getting like just getting over there and, and everything's totally new and you sometimes you can't talk to anybody but it's like I um I'm gonna hate the sentence that's about to come out of my mouth <laughs> because it's so cliche but it really does it opens your mind I think it to to be able to really develop a relationship with somebody that thinks completely differently from you is a skill that not many of us have anymore all of us need. So to be able to sit across the table from somebody who may hate you, but to find a way to just forget those things and to just enjoy a coffee together is, so while my Sharia law like experience like has no bearing on my day-to-day -day life, um, I meet all kinds of people in Mid-City, the colorful cultural <laughs> melting pot that it is, and none of it is as crazy as you know or none of it is is as far reaching or as difficult to overcome as this, like the the barriers that i might have met in some of these other parts of the world so mm -hmm. i think that we would be a better place if we took that time to get to know somebody so different from us because then we would learn that they're really not mm -hmm. so then if that person's not that different from me then nobody you're going to meet in baton rouge i don't care what political party they're like a part of none of them are going to be impossible for you to form a meaningful relationship with right cool um so that again that sounds like it just feeds right into what you're doing now day to day 
community relations, mm -hmm. which is a somewhat, I, I don't know, common generic type term. It is generic. It means... It means nothing. <laughs> okay, got it. <laughs> uh, but I'm sure that's like a lot of what you're doing mm -hmm. between this meeting and these this neighborhood and this neighbor who doesn't want this happening around their house and things like that. Um, can you give me you maybe? Can you give me maybe a couple? Uh, and we're not. I don't want like any dirt, or obviously, but maybe like some uh, challenge. There we go. Challenges. Okay. Great word that you used earlier. Some challenges that you've uh, that you've overcome or, or solved in mid city? Yeah, I, well, I would actually even, I push back a little bit on the question because it is never, it is never my place to solve a problem. I will say that I have seen residents often struggle with the proximity, multi-use. It's just difficult for people sometimes, mm -hmm. especially if they've been in a neighborhood for a while and now all of a sudden there's bars everywhere. There's no parking, you know, uh, prices are skyrocketing. This kind of change that comes with this flourishing multi-use space mm -hmm. can be difficult for neighborhoods and for people who've lived there for, you know, as long as I've lived in Mid-City, right. when that is not what they bought into when they bought there. So that is a challenge that a lot of our neighborhoods have faced. But, you know, a lot of them have, like, ha have really come at them head on, which I think is really incredible. They're, they come up with, like, cooperative agreements with those businesses they meet with the developers before they ever invest their money in it to, to sort that out. I'm sure y'all are aware of what mm -hmm. happened with um, Ogden Park and the um, the building that y'all uh, had leased out. Uh, the, yeah, I think I know which one you're talking about. The Well, now it's torn down, or right. part of it is. Well, or, the, I don't know what's going on. This, yeah, yeah, why don't you tell me? Well, it's technically a separate building from it is, that yes. building. I mean, the, the plan but, was always probably to tear down that house, or, like, and that was going to be I don't parking. really know what I'm allowed to say, so I'll just say. I don't know why we're looking at Carl like he has. <laughs> well, yeah, Carl, help me out here. What am I supposed what to say? What are we allowed no. to? <laughs> but yeah, that, I think that was part of the plan, so. Yeah, so I mean, that's an example of residents, and and mid-city redevelopment putting on that hat has like no official opinion on those squabbles okay our only opinion is that everybody needs to listen to each other got it so we think it is important that residents are able to have meetings with developers ideally before they invest right. a bunch of money into something and then it's unwanted and there's constant tension like so we think that that's incredibly important we also think it's incredibly important to attract local businesses, to foster them, to help them communicate better with residents and find ways of making their business successful. So, and that is not the only time that that struggle has happened. It happens mm -hmm. all over Governor Street and it's happening on Florida now too. Right, yeah. This is supposed um, to be the next wave. It is. That's, uh, that's gonna be my new day job coming up soon. Um, I'll get pulled into a lot of that kind of conversation, but that is that's probably the most common challenge and it is never my job to fix it it's right. only my job to serve as like a bridge builder right. between groups that's great that's answer. good that would be a very that's a very good clarification i guess clarification for uh for me to know kind of what your yeah, role is and what the redevelopment alliance role is never have an opinion got it ever it, because it's not our i mean if we're like we if as representatives of everybody in the community it is not our right. role to have an opinion it is our role to facilitate conversation right um and i think that that's really true to who i am as a person as well cool um i also like to jump around some too because i might be scattered brained what uh can you tell me the other places that you visited we said uh oh like you mentioned you've been to a ton of countries can you name them all well, that's like another good pop quiz. <laughs> and China, and I went to a few cities in China, then to 
oh, I guess I should talk out loud. China. Lived in Thailand for a month and some change. Train down. Lived in Malaysia for several months. Borneo. Where is Aceh, Borneo? It's, Where is uh, that? Is that a country? Well, Aceh is technically a part of Indonesia, although they fought an Islamic Got rebellion it. to okay. try and separate. So they're like this kind of quasi-province. Okay. Um, so it's a little bit, you know, if, if you're, you know, if you know people from that community, if you're part of that kind of conversation, it would be divisive to say, like, I went to Indonesia because, in fact, I went to the semi-autonomous province of Aceh. Got it. Okay. Um, which, by the way, was probably the most Islamically strict country I've ever been to, besides maybe Saudi Arabia. China, Thailand, Malaysia, Borneo, Aceh. Then I actually went to Indonesia proper. Um, then I spent about a, three weeks in Saudi Arabia. Jordan, Palestine, Turkey, Egypt. Did you see the pyramids? Greece. I did see the pyramids. Very Not cool. as cool as you would think. Oh, bummer. It's like right like in the middle of a city. Oh, are they? Okay. So it does lack that kind of um, magic. But here's like a fun tip. If you were planning on going to Egypt, I would highly recommend going to Upper Egypt, which is the south. Um, Interesting. So like the Nubile region, it is absolutely, the Nile is beautiful at the mouth. Or not the, the mouth of it in Egypt, absolutely beautiful. Um, it's this weird mixture of Egyptian and or Arab and Sudanese culture, right? Okay. And it's, it's, it's a border country. Um, and there's a lot of kind of like crossover and it's, um, it's just beautiful. There's great Sudanese art. Um, and also like pyramids and artifacts and Egypt, you know, to typical Egyptian type stuff going mm -hmm, on there mm -hmm. too. Uh, but it's just much less, like much less travel too. Cause it's pain in the butt to get there. Take this old, old, I thought I was going to like break down British <laughs> train all, like, all the way down the Nile. And it was like, a, it was that, it was like from the 1910s, wow. like had the, it was, so it was beautiful in a way, but yeah. Good thing it didn't break down. It didn't, but I thought <laughs> any any second now, yeah. the thing would catch a flame. Um, Is that, I, I think I interrupted you. Yeah. You were going, and you said Greece, I think, was... Oh, yes. I was like, no, I think that's the end, so that's oh, okay. 12. Wow. I, that's so awesome. I've never been to Europe. Oh, okay. Cool. Um, I've never been to Latin America. <laughs> um, so I've never been to the usual. And I really right. want to go. I'd love to go to like Ireland. I think that's beautiful. And Yeah, for sure. I have, I, we went last year actually to Europe, yeah. not me and Carl. I keep looking at Carl. Oh, no. Me and my wife went. <laughs> you didn't was, have a romantic trip great. to Europe? The no, years? not yet. We haven't. No. <laughs> <laughs> which of the, which of the places did you feel most out of place? You know, I think that you're like the first person to ever ask me that. Really? Yeah. People, um, felt the most out of place. I think maybe Saudi Arabia. Okay. That that probably would have been my assumption. Yeah, I think it was had more to do with the type of trip. Typically, whenever I'm going, I'm I I really like to stay in a place. Right. I not not the touristy experience. You're looking for meeting people on the ground. There's not a lot of ground. touristy experiences in That's most true. of those. Good point. <laughs> Good point. Um, but Saudi Arabia was like a you know in order to go there it has to be like a government trip. Oh, so okay. It was free. I mean, the government took me, but like I was in the bus and I went where the bus took me gotcha. and I went. Um, so that was a weird, did they like dictate what you had to wear and all that too? Yeah. I mean, there are, there are expectations, cultural expectations there about, you know, but most of the countries I went to, there were cultural expectations about what I wore. Aceh Indonesia was actually the most restrictive. 
um, country as far as like, you know, couldn't be out after dark, really? couldn't be alone with a man, really? had to wear certain things. Right. It was also during Ramadan, so I had to fast. Oh, right. It would have been illegal not to. And they're, um, up, they're up partying all night during Ramadan, right? Is that how it works? No. Oh, they're not? Not in Indonesia. Or not oh, in Aceh. Okay. They're like very like religious. In the Middle East is different. Yeah, there. Yeah, okay. so there's like it's a huge spectrum, but Got actually, it. like everything, like during Ramadan, it's all shut down. Got it. Showing my ignorance to Islamic no, it's culture. It, it well, there isn't one Islamic culture. Good point. There's like a billion. Yeah, just uh, like like there's Muslim. Christianity, but like ooh, there's a broad range. Right. True. True. Which is why on the podcast we're drinking Coca Cola Classics. That's right. No, I'm joking. I made a joke about that earlier. Dumb joke. Um, tell me about the. I was curious. And this may be, uh, I think it happened when you were at MidCity, because uh, you were at Redevelopment Alliance, and then you got another job, mm-hmm. which I was going to inquire about. Sure. But then, again, because of COVID and Now I'm back at MidCity things, Redevelopment. Right. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about that first, actually. Yeah. So uh, you were working at Redevelopment Alliance, and then you went to Electric Depot. Yeah. And uh, what was your, I guess, what was your title? And then also, like, why'd you switch? Or what was, uh, how'd you get the job? That sort of thing. So I was the the director of the Electric Depot. Um, the director of the Electric Depot. It's a fancy title. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm now I'm the director of community relations. Titles right. are easy to hand out. Right, that's true. Salary yeah. is less so. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I switched. You know, I really do want the Electric Depot to like succeed in Mid City, mm-hmm. and I know that they have struggled with their PR and with their community and neighborhood engagement. And so I saw an opportunity to just really try my hand at that. You know, I had a lot of the relationships to do that kind of groundwork. And I also knew that that job would allow me to continue to do the work that I love. So I would still be on the Mid-City Merchants Board, still be on the Mid-City Girl Board. I was still working on all of my Mid-City Redevelopment Alliance projects, essentially. So it didn't didn't necessarily, you know, I was still leading the Mid-City Committee. so I took it for those reasons, um, and it was it was it was meaningful to me. I think mm-hmm. you know, in order for Mid City to succeed, local businesses have to be engaged in the neighborhood, and there's a lot of interesting work to happen there. When you talk about like what is the difference between gentrification and community development, mm-hmm. so I was just I was really fascinated about like how you could straddle that line and what that would look like cool. if you had like a positive like if you really were positively intentioned, right. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and then leading into my next question, I saw uh, an unfortunate post that you posted on social media about COVID and affecting mm. your job at the electric mm-hmm. depot. And I'm assuming yeah. that was because they, you know, certain things that COVID brought about, AKA less money, they had to change things up. But I wanted to ask you about how, I guess you handled that situation, like actually being directly affected because COVID has affected a lot of people, but most people I know haven't really, you know, I've known a couple of people that have got COVID or I know some people who thought they might lose their job or I think it it hasn't been a huge effect. So I saw your your post and I was like, oh, wow, she is now no longer. Right. That was my first time ever being let go from a job. So it was difficult for me. mm -hmm. Um, I think there was, you know, there's two parts to handling that, right? Like, I knew whatever job I took, I would still, you know, end up working alongside whatever happened with the Electric Depot and all of those businesses. Um, so 
and I, you know, I wasn't let go and like, because I wasn't doing my job right or because it wasn't work, you know, it was, it felt very out of my control. Like everybody who's lost their job, you know, I've, I I have known particularly in the arts Mm -hmm. and arts related organizations, a lot of them are losing their jobs right now. And it is, you know, if you, especially if you're like events planning, you know, it's just, it's a terrible market for that right now. So, you know, you just, you take it in stride. I was so lucky that I had so much community support. I immediately had like a lot of people who were like asking me to help them with projects. And so I stayed, like I stayed busy, which is always important for my sanity. And, um, and everybody was incredibly supportive, Mm -hmm. which I thought, which is, you know, another reason community is so important because like, I, I didn't feel like tossed out or alone to the world. Like I, you know, immediately was embraced by people who knew that I brought value and, you know, knew that I would land on my feet. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Great it story. Cool. That's very cool. I hope that everybody feels that way. Right. Another point for the strength of community mm-hmm. and knowing people around you. Um, That's right. Were you, how involved were you with the gotcha bikes? And because mm. I know, weren't they like using the redevelopments warehouse for things? They still things? do, yeah. Okay. So I see Gotcha like every day. Um, I, you know, hope that they are incredibly successful. I think Baton Rouge really, you know, hopefully will embrace that. Mm-hmm. And this is to catch somebody, anybody mm-hmm. up. This is the, the bike rentals, kind of like uh, the scooter Downtown, things. LSU. Oh, yeah, geez. You, Matt and his scooters. Use your phone to rent the bike. Yeah. And, and they have been they came here last summer, so they've been about a year, I think, right? They got a big grant from BRAF to kind of front them the, the mm-hmm. you know, that to get them here and they're in LSU downtown and Southern. The goal is ultimately to expand. Mm -hmm. You know, I know that they, um, logistics, you know, have had run into some challenges. I know people in Baton Rouge have run into some different challenges, but we are actually the pilot. And a part of the reason they came here is because we allow them to let us be the pilot. (laughs) We are the pilot for these motorized bikes, right? which is some sort of weird scooter bike hybrid. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think it's, I think it's going well, Mm -hmm. although I don't, you know, the bikes aren't in, in mid city yet we we have gotten them out for like white light night and those types of events and we hope to bring them out again cool one day it'll be up and down government street maybe yeah especially as government streets becoming more oh my road diet walkable bicyclable and all those things mid city did the first go map so government street master action planning process in the 90s that is the first plan that recommended a three lane with bike lanes Wow. And we got it. Took them long enough to do it. It did take them a while, but they did it. They did. So sometimes it takes 30 years. Isn't it? And again, I I don't recall if we were talking about this before the podcast or on, but it's been 30, you said 30 years. And I also heard this on when you were talking Mm -hmm. with Franz, but, uh, shout out to Franz. Shout out, uh, 30 years for the redevelopment Alliance, right? 30 years next year. So it is, it's 30 years from Mid-City Redevelopment and Mid-City Merchants, but it is not just the 30-year anniversary of the organizations. It is the 30-year anniversary of that name. Of the name Mid-City. semi-urban region outside of Got downtown. It. Got it. Okay. Um, not that, you know, other communities have called their semi-urban region outside of downtown Mid-City. So, I mean, like you know, New Orleans. But the first time that that was applied, um, Boo Thomas, which was Mid-City Redevelopment's first executive director uh, today... Today is her birthday, I think, oh, wow. actually. Happy Thomas. Birthday. She's like the founder of Mid-City. She's an incredible lady. She has had a huge impact on Baton Rouge. She founded Mid-City Redevelopment, and then she went on to found uh, that like the Plan BR group, which ultimately became CPEX, okay. um, which was a big part in like starting uh, the Redevelopment Authority in Baton Rouge and some other um, big 
things that have permanently changed community development in the city. Cool. So there's like a lot of um, organizations in the city that mm -hmm. I don't know anything about. And uh, so now that makes me think, how do you like keep everything straight and how do you keep up with all these people on the regular basis? And are you just like, what's the, do you like mix up? Are you good with names and faces or I'm better with what's faces, your strategy? but, um, because banners is so small, I've known a lot of these people for much of my life. I mean, and you know, you, you work with people on projects, the redevelopment space in Baton Rouge is not that big. Um, and it, you don't want to like insult somebody by not recognizing their value to that conversation. Mm -hmm. So it's very important that you really understand all of the partners, everybody who's leading them, and then the history of all of their relationships together, because it can become wow. quite political, maybe mm -hmm. is the right word. Um, but ultimately, you know, to try and stay away from some of that nonsense, you just really need to remember that everybody is honestly there to make banners better. Uh, and I think sometimes people forget that when they're collaborating. Yeah, for sure. Def and it's very easy to do that whenever you're not like myself. I have been most of my life. You're not super involved with the things happening, but instead just like watch the news or like read the news articles about things. Then it's a lot easier. If to you read the news articles, then you're things. like, <laughs> <laughs> but you're still ahead of a lot of people. And I, I wish, you know, more people were more clued in. to like how these decisions get made, um, because, you know, if everybody were really informed, you might be able to do a little bit more of the truth to power, a little yeah, bit right. more <laughs> of holding feet to the fire in ways that need to be done in the city. So, so even reading the news is, is a start. That's good. A start. That's good. Yeah. Um, what, um, I was kind of curious to ask you about maybe some of the, um, I don't, I, I don't know how to explain it really, but like, I guess like your day-to-day -day stuff or like what you, um, I don't know, again, trying to dig like into the weeds a little mm. bit rather than Marley's really good at talking and smiling and, and meeting people and that sort of thing. Are <laughs> you, uh, what's your, are you all, are you like a phone person, a, an office desk computer person? Are you like in the car all the time in the office? What's your... So <laughs> unlike, uh, cause I am a millennial, um, unlike the standard millennial that is reveling this work from home opportunity, mm -hmm. I show up every day at 8 a.m. Really? Nice. I, I nice. work from a desk. I mean, I also have like, because I, I do do some graphic design work as well. So I've got like the big monitors and the laptop okay. and everything. So I'm on zoom and I'm doing some whatever. Um, However, my phone is incredibly important in my work because most of the people I work alongside are doing this as a volunteer activity. Mm. So this is not from their work desk. This is from their phone's personal life. So it's a, it's a pretty big split, but I, I actually have a pretty traditional understanding of like you, you come into the office, you get the work done, <laughs> mm -hmm. you leave when it's done. Um, so yeah, but my tradition, like there is no typical day. Uh, a lot of what I do is, is not necessarily fundraising, but like is, is like getting grants, designing programs for grants, writing about them. I do a lot of that. And then in my evenings is when I do my community work. Okay. So, all right. So how is, uh, I'm totally unfamiliar mm -hmm. with nonprofit getting grant money. Yeah. Uh, so what's that process like? Miserable. <laughs> That's what I've heard. So <laughs> there's like basically two different types of money. And I, oh, I wish more people understood this. Oh, please uh, explain. <laughs> this or, is like uh, my, <laughs> enlighten me on this. <laughs> this is like my crusade. So 
you, you'll hear this a lot, right? So uh, the Red Cross. Yep. People talk about their bloated admin budget, you know, like how much they pay staff or whatever. Right. And so there was this narrative, like I think back in like the early 2010s, you look at an organization's admin budget and the more money they spend on admin and operations, the less money, the more inefficiently they're spending the money, right? So if all of their money is going to salaries and admin and operations and they're not spending any money on the community that you actually want your money right. to go to. So you can measure a nonprofit's value by how much they spend on operations versus direct assistance. Okay. That is the most nonsense thing I've ever heard because <laughs> it completely depends on the type of work you do, right? Okay. So if your job is to do counseling for home ownership, mm-hmm. all of your money is spent on operations because right. it's makes all sense. spent on salary. That makes sense. Now, if your job is supposed to be in giving dollars to people who are recovering from a disaster, then maybe an admin or operations right. to direct service. I mean, equation matters. So it is impossible now, though, to get money for things that are not direct assistance, that are like community building, right? So like the okay. work I do is all salary plus neighborhood projects. So there is a little bit of direct assistance with that. Um, and federal grants are just as miserable. So they take forever to write. They take forever to get. They're all reimbursable. And then you have to report on them. Um Having spent some time in the private sector and in the public sector, man, businesses can spend money on anything they want. <laughs> they can do whatever they want. But for if you have a federal grant, every single right. penny, every single penny can only go to exactly specific items and all has to be accounted for and all has to be audited every year. Mm-hmm. And our audits cost over $13,000 a year. They're just wow. so intensive because of our federal grants. Right. So you're, so is it, uh, the stuff, are you, you're directly working on getting these federal grants for mid-city redevelopment? Yeah. And so is it like an application? Do they, does the government like say, here's the availability you apply or do you it just works request completely for, differently. okay. So there are some federal grants that go through the city. So our redevelopment authority, it's called build BR. They just had a rebrand. They, oh, build Baton Rouge. yeah, build Baton okay, Rouge. Right, right, that yeah. is the redevelopment yep, authority. Uh, they were Baton Rouge redevelopment. Authority. They just had a reba- rebrand yep. BBR. It's what we call them in our office. <laughs> um, they are the recipient for most of the housing. So that's Chodo, okay. CDBG, home funds, that kind of thing. So their team receives those federal grants. They do um, an incredible amount of that federal grant processing. And the team over there, uh, led by Tasha, can talk to you about how miserable that is. Um <laughs> And then we have to basically comply with the policies and procedures that they set forth after having interpreted the federal grant. So that's where a lot of our like actual wow. real estate funds come from. Okay. And then you have to like find a bank that will front you the cash because it's all reimbursable. But even once you submit for reimbursement, it can take a really long time to get it reimbursed. Oh wow! Okay. Uh, which is a really which is why it is so difficult to do affordable housing development. Not because the funds aren't there. I mean, our city's got like seventeen million dollars for affordable housing that could all be drawn down. Oh wow! You have to get the funds to build the thing, and you have to be able to float your organization long enough until you can be reimbursed. So you're actually using bank money, doing all of the work, and then once you have it all done. Then the government you writes it down. Job. Well, it, but it can take some time because right. then you basically apply for a reimbursement, and there's a series of things that need to happen. Um, there's a series of things that need to happen even before environmental reviews, which can take a really long time, mm-hmm. um, and then a series of things that need to happen afterwards. And their office is so incredibly overworked that there's several projects 
but I have a series of things that need to happen both on the front end and the back end. So right. it can take a really long time. Right. Uh, so that's pretty miserable. <laughs> and there is lots of like rules and stuff around how you can spend mm -hmm. these types of funds. Um, so yeah, I write, you know, I work with that team to do that. I work with the mayor's office, which oversees BBR mm -hmm. so they can kind of, you know, help, um, get those wheels moving for you. Um, we have a, can't say why, but we have, um, a press conference on Saturday with the mayor's office for a similar announcement, okay. um, this Saturday. Oh, so you so, can't disclose. Well, this isn't going to air until like a week and a half oh, from now. So that's true. Okay, so we are going to be getting some CDBG dollars to actually start uh, like a resident uh, training institute, a resident leadership institute in Baton Rouge. Our first. Other big cities have these, right? So it's like okay. training people on how to be like advocates, doing neighborhood change, project management, all these types of things okay. to do that important neighborhood level work. Um, so we're going to be receiving a pretty big CDBG grant, uh, through the mayor's office to do that over the next three years. Oh, that's cool. So that'll be on Saturday, hopefully. Very good. Cool. Congrats. Thank you. <laughs> so uh, I do that. And then national funders, and that's way easier. Like, and that would be like NeighborWorks America, that kind of thing. Like private organizations yeah, that private foundations give out money for, okay. Way easier than federal grants. Um, I would imagine. I love I this. I guess it's like probably, probably good because like. We don't want to like easily give away the taxpayer money, but then also, not easy. but then also like governments just normally suck at like doing stuff like that. So it's like good and bad, I guess. There's, yeah, there's pros and cons, but I laugh in the face of anybody who thinks that nonprofits waste money. Well, right. I mean, I'm sure that they can. Right. Some nonprofits, some it, bad Or that it, they're like unorganized because right. in order to get federal funding, you have got to be so much more organized than any private business. I mean, it's so much reporting and right. it's so much, you have to know everything about every piece of lumber that goes anywhere <laughs> and you need to answer all of those types of questions. So how much is, um, or I mean, like not numbers, I guess, obviously, unless it's public info, I don't know if it is or not, but what's like the, cause do y'all accept obviously private donations also, do y'all have we like do. a fundraiser per year or like fundraisers? No, we don't, we do, we do tear where, yeah, we don't get a lot of private donations. Okay. I think it's like a shame because there's a really important distinction between tied dollars and untied dollars for nonprofits. Okay. So tied dollars is is like literally tied to specific activities. Okay. Like earmarked. I've heard earmarked, that word yeah. before. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. Got it. Um, yeah, earmarked is typically referred to like government things that are earmarked for specific activities for nonprofits. We typically call it tied and untied. Okay. Untied dollars are incredibly important because they can pay for things that are have value to the local community that's donating to them, but not might not either reach the importance of national objectives or um, are just not allowed for in the like the federal regulation set forth for the dollars that they're giving to agencies to distribute. Okay. So like untied dollars can pay for mural projects, which get an incredible amount of press that right. so many people find value in. Right. Um, but tied projects can only go to the uh like <laughs> the trees but not the <laughs> landscaping and only go towards fixing the roof but not the fascia or the like and so you in order to get in order to be able to actually spend tie dollars you need untie dollars um to even make those projects make any damn sense right makes sense so you need a good healthy combination of both and i think that's where mid-city redevelopment we are uniquely positioned to get all of this great you know to be able to get as many federal dollars as possible 
through our city as the regulations will allow in a certain amount of time, we do our best to, to use up those dollars for the Baton Rouge community. We do a terrible job of getting untied dollars that can help us front that and get even okay. more, you know, or match it or make better use of it. So people we don't have any donations. need to go to the website and donate. They should. And I write think it off be, on their taxes. Yeah, it's all, it's all a tax write-off. Right. Um, although the standard deduction really has changed that for nonprofits. Okay. Do like, it. Please explain. Um, well, people donate to charities and to their churches mm-hmm. and to their communities because it's a tax write-off. But if the standard deduction is higher, that means you would have to donate a significant amount before it would ever make sense to itemize your taxes. And you can only get a tax write-off if you itemize your taxes. Okay. So whenever the standard like you know deduction went up, it made less sense for people to itemize. So it made less sense for people to donate. Got it. Okay. So that was um, that's a huge that was a huge hit to the nonprofit world uh, that wasn't ever really talked about because there were so many other things happening. Mm-hmm. Um, you should still donate though. <laughs> Definitely still donate. <laughs> it so does. It has an impact. Are you um, are you like into politics a lot, uh, like personally? Not through redevelopment lines. We don't have to talk politics. I'm just yeah. curious because you did like go to school for political science, yeah. right? Was it mm-hmm. your major or? It was my major. Okay. Uh, my major in political science with a minor in international relations. And when I worked in DC, I did do political work. Okay. And I did some stuff with the Senate and the Hill. And I worked for a 501c3c4. So that's an organization that is both a nonprofit and a political advocacy group. Okay. So. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you're you're like all and tell me what you did in DC by the way cuz I don't think we yeah. skipped past yeah. that. I worked for the Center for National Policy. Okay. Um doing uh like international policy research and advocacy work. Uh but mainly what I did was organizing like m- Meetings like not behind door meetings, but closed Ooh, meetings under the table type meetings. No, okay. not under the table, but like so you're like it is important doing some handouts for people here, to handouts there. No, and, okay, <laughs> it is important for people, especially people who are Hatch Act. Uh, which if you work for state or federal government, you are something called Hatch Act, which has come up a lot in the recent political administration. Never heard of it. Um, you are not allowed to talk about politics if you work for the government. Okay, have heard. And that. people have heard. Yeah. Yes. Got so it. that. Uh, wasn't always the case, but became the case after the, you know, Congress passed the Hatch Act. Right. Okay. Um, and it specifically sets forth how you can personally engage in politics and not professionally engage in politics. What that means for your social media has recently been interpreted and all types of other stuff. Um, so sounds pointless to me, but please well, continue. <laughs> so when you have a bunch of people who are incredibly smart and know a lot about a policy <clears throat> issue, but are Hatch Act, it's very difficult for them to liaise with congressional representatives hill staffers political advocacy groups with their expertise and so finding ways that they can um secretly communicate candid conversations about what they're open i think is what you're no (laughs) sorry i'll stop so that yeah so i did a lot of that so a lot of convening of policy experts so that people could have honest conversations and dialogues about things, okay. particularly foreign policy issues and national security issues. And were you um, so you were involved mainly with facilitating again something you're very good at, uh, facilitating that stuff, not yeah. so much into the actual things that they were talking about. No, um, in order to really be qualified to do policy research, you need a PhD. Uh, um, so like I might be. <clears throat> taking that information and writing up policy positions and then we would publish that. Okay. So we did like a, um, when I was there, we, uh, 
it was during the the campaign, the presidential 2016 campaign. So we did the like hundred policies of national security. Um, You know, so we were publishing stuff that I was working on, but most of it was basically learning from like taking from experts and distilling that into, you know, actionable items. And then the center for national policy, the Truman national security project center for national policy being the C3, which is the nonprofit, mm-hmm. the Truman National Security Project being the advocacy group, the C4, mm-hmm. has chapters all across the country. And so we were doing a lot of political advocacy, you know, advocacy okay. work during the campaign. And that, so that was mainly educating the public on stuff, but then also people who you needed to partner with on things or get things done. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. So it's a little bit of both. Yeah. And you li- how long did you live in D.C.? Uh, about a year I was doing that. But when I was in college, I took several, like I had done different internships and stuff in DC, but for that job, I was there for a little over a year, year okay. and a month. Is it, uh, what is it like? Cause I, I mentioned I have a friend in DC. Well, he's in politics and he lived in DC for a little yeah. bit and he explained that it's very different than normal American life in DC. Is that your observation as well? I really love DC. They have like a Shakespeare theater company that I love to go to. The food was good. I love being able to walk to work every day. It's beautiful. I would love the museums. That's what I would do with my free time. Um, I noticed that you're leaving out the people in, in the things that you like about DC, which was the, my friend's objection to it mainly. Were people nice in DC, I guess is what I'm asking. Or were they just like the meanest people ever? Nobody was mean. Okay. Um, but I would never say anybody is mean, so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not surprised. <laughs> um, I know. I think More everybody to work is with. incredibly smart, mm. and I learned so much from the people there. I will say, uh, gosh, I don't like to talk politics. I, I am a part <laughs> of a certain party, mm-hmm. or I do personally subscribe to a certain party, but uh, when I was there, I realized that being – being a Democrat in Baton Rouge is totally different than being a Democrat okay. in D.C. You know, and I think there's like a spectrum to the party that I just wasn't aware of until okay. I really moved there. Um, so that was a really interesting piece for me. Um, so the, of all the places that you've lived, you yeah. might have felt most out of place in D.C.? No. Or am I misinterpreting? Maybe, actually. Okay. <laughs> I love the museums. Yeah, and it yeah. was pretty. And I <laughs> right. did have some good friends there. But I, yeah, maybe so. Cool. Um, again, jumping around, traveling. What I was uh, wanted to know, like I asked you earlier about the importance of traveling or like getting out of your bubble or the yeah. cliche thing, but like, have you noticed? Um, and you traveled mostly. You're still. I'm. I don't want to be rude or anything, but you're still under thirty, and you travel. I am under thirty. Mostly uh, around college years age, mm-hmm. which is also a time when a lot of people do a lot of changing in their personality and things. So I was curious to know if you'd noticed anything that changed in yourself from living abroad and interacting with all of these people. Like, has it made you more of a people person than you already were? You know, anything like that. I think um, I think what traveling did for me is it made me significantly more humble than I might have been otherwise. Okay. Like, I think, you know, when you do fancy things or you get fancy accolades or you make fancy grades, you can get, 
I think it's some reason maybe that's why I came back home is I, I, I think it may be more humble because when you meet so many incredible people who are doing so many incredible things and overcoming so many challenges all around the world, like it makes things like being a Truman scholar feel like, not that it's not incredibly important and didn't change my life and is beautiful and would encourage any college students <laughs> to apply for it. Um, it puts those things into perspective. Right. So um, I think, you know, I don't I don't think I would be as successful at my job if I didn't understand like all of the value that people can bring to a conversation, even if they might not look like they are the smartest person in the room or mm-hmm. might not have the most money in the room. And I think um, that is I think that's something that I learned in college that I might not have learned if I'd never right. left. That's cool. Really cool. Um, before I let you go, yeah, because I can't keep you I here do forever. Have to get, yeah, I have to get my I have dog. To get the dog. She'll be so sad. She has to stay there. Uh, if she had to stay there, she'd yeah, be sad. She, oh, yeah. I thought you were saying that she's going to be so sad to see you pick her up. Oh no, she's. Um, well, she'll be sad to leave. She loves daycare. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, give me some of your favorite places to eat in Mid City. Oh, I can't really answer that. <laughs> okay, give me some of your favorite places to eat outside of Mid City. All right. <laughs> you don't leave Mid-City. I would say, so growing up, uh-huh. I loved eating at Mangini's. I used to eat at Mangini's like every Friday. Yeah. Um, I'm a, I don't eat meat now. Okay. So that has That's changed. That's a huge bummer. You know, I don't, um, <laughs> I don't like, so I'm not like, it has been exactly like six months, 42 hours and three okay, minutes right. since I've had my last piece of meat. Um, <laughs> I think uh, it's, you know, just... Like, if you're doing it for health reasons or whatever else, you know, if you're really craving meat, then you should do what, like, your body is saying it needs. I just I just don't feel need. I think it's better for the environment not to. Um, <laughs> Got it. Hey, you can say whatever you want. Yeah. Just... But, I mean, like, if my grandmother made something, I would still eat it or Got try it. it. Or, like, you know, I, I try and be respectful. And then the other thing is, like, there ain't no restaurant I can't. There's, like, nothing... People get really weird about it. Like, what will I eat? And I'm like, there's always something for me to eat. Like, mm. I really wouldn't worry about it. I, I will eat fish when we're out because there's nothing else. So I there's guess if I There's a lot of fish it, in Louisiana. Yeah. yeah, there's not. People make a big <laughs> deal. Like, it's going to really, like, impact their life. And I'm like, honestly, if I'm going to starve, I'll eat meat. Like, I'll, <laughs> you know, it's just not a choice I want to make every day. Right, so. right. But anyway, um, so my favorite restaurant in Mid-City, I... I know. I probably should have like maybe thought a little harder about that question before asking. Yeah. What you. is your favorite restaurant in Mid City? Well, I was gonna say like you probably like you might offend some people if you give the a certain. I certain love answer. all the restaurants. There's not exactly. a restaurant in Mid City I've had that mm, it's like not very good. So we, even Hannah's barbecue is delicious. There's great sides there. We've been there a couple times. Hannah's Q is very good. Yeah. We I think I really probably the most enjoy Roca. Yeah. Um, Their Brussels and, but sprouts I are. I haven't, they are, I haven't eaten at like all the places, so I I probably don't have the best opinion, but we went to, we went to Roca, um, for brunch one day and it was like one of those, like, it is really good. I don't want to say life changing, but it was a very good meal with the pizza and the soji is good, but I also have like some, like I have eaten there for so long that I have like, like I went to like La Caretta, like. (laughs) <laughs> you know, so many times because yeah. their cauliflower tacos are so good. And I've been to Mangini's like so many times since I was a kid. And like, I used to go like in high school, I studied at Brouhaha. So like I have like nice. personal attachments to mm-hmm. some places in mid city. 
um, but can really respect like the incredible like food that's like new restaurants are bringing. There is. There's a lot of different things available in Mid City yeah, for really sure. Is. I'm a big fan of the restaurants in the Electric Depot, and I'm not getting paid to say that anymore. They're really good. <laughs> right. Cool. Uh, what's the best thing that you ate outside of the country, if you could pick? So there is this meal that I like crave from Jordan that I really like, I just wish like I can get obviously well Chinese food here is not very good but there's like That's some so, like substitutes so but no it's weird Chinese food in China is amazing Chinese it food is. here is not it's just good. so eclectic and so varied yep. here it's just greasy and I'm like <laughs> that's not anyway um there's this meal it's called Munsaf Munsaf and it is yeah it oh my gosh do I miss it it's it's lamb and it has this like cream sauce on it okay and it's like on this bed of rice and it is so good so it's lamb cream sauce and rice it's not cream like a, it's like a yogurt when i say that it sounds gross but is it, it like sweet it's almost sour whoa okay <laughs> interesting no it doesn't sound good but a non-meat eater said that so she good. craves a meat meal that's sour it's, the yogurt is sour. The lamb is just like falling apart. Right. Like you can't even keep it on the bone. That does sound good. And it's so good. And this this cream sauce, I um, so you know, if anybody that I knew in Jordan is watching this, please <laughs> please send Munsa. You can't get it here. There was a Jordanian restaurant that opened up on Brightside, and I went, and they didn't have it. They had makluba, uh, but that's not as good. What's makluba? It means upside down in Arabic. Okay. But it's basically, it's because of how you make it. You, you bake it in the oven with chicken and then like rice and then you turn it upside down so the chicken's on top. But Got that it. way it all cooks in the chicken greases. It's okay. good. Cool. And they have like little, you know, any seeds and flavorings and it's like a brown rice. But oh, nothing's got it. Munsef is so darn So is the, is the Middle Eastern food also like your kind of favorite regional food? I like do love Middle Eastern food. Okay. Yeah, I do. I mean, I could eat falafel like every day for the rest of my life. Um, and it was like 50 cents and you could get like, you know, mm. have you ever had, you've had cold fries, cold or, fries, like cold, like just fries that are old. Oh yeah. 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 Just like cold. I thought this was like some specialized dish no. or something. Okay. Yeah. It's like cold, cold fries, fries. Yeah, old fries. Right. So when you get falafel in America, they're like cold mm. or like just have been heated up because they've been sitting. Mm -hmm. But imagine if you just had fries that were just cold or just, just sitting under a heater, it wouldn't be that good. Right. Falafel in the Middle East is like freshly fried, put on your plate, like still sizzling, just like fries should be here. Right. It is so nice. good. You have snow, snow replacement. Sounds great. So anyway, I really do miss Middle Eastern food. I love Malaysian food. It was really good. Indonesian food was really good, but I think I miss Middle Eastern food. Middle Eastern food, yeah. Very cool. And do you expect to go live some of these places again? Or, or do you see yourself still in Baton Rouge? I definitely, not that that, of course, is a bad thing, still being in Baton Rouge. Of course yeah. not. But No, I want to live the rest of my life in Baton Rouge. I don't want to leave again. This is like this is my new project. Got it. Decided. It, it's um, it's so hard to think about leaving my job for that length of time. Mm. Like, I would love to go and visit some of these people that I do feel like I have a real connection with um, or just experience some of these things or see some of these places or, like, brush up on my Arabic, which is clearly, like, mishkoyas, like, not good. Um, but... Uh, when am I going to take six months off? Right. When are you going to take six months off to go yeah. live in Jordan? I would love to take a month off. That would be amazing. But yeah, yeah, it's, that would be a long time. Stay in Westville Ballad. There's some actually decent partying in Jordan and some great, like, like, like you can go to the desert. It's beautiful. That's really cool. Yeah. Last question before I let yes, you go. Before my dog. We're okay. almost out of time. 
what is something that's happening that you're excited about? Like something coming up that you're very excited about? Specifically, I guess, related to the mm-hmm. city or mid-city. I, um, the thing that is really keeping me going right now is Florida Boulevard and Florida Street. I, you know, I can't say too much about what we're hoping to happen, what we think might happen, what we're working towards, but, um, that is going to be the next five years of my life, I hope. And I hope the funding really comes through to make that possible. I think there is a lot of exciting things that can really happen on that corridor. So that's, um, that's we'll see where that goes very cool yeah cool well marley i would have loved to keep talking to you of course and i really appreciate you coming and hanging out thank you for having me me and mr carl for a little bit can you please again for everyone out there Mm -hmm. just tell us the website for redevelopment and social media things and the next hopefully the next event that may be coming up so midcityredevelopment.org midcityemergence.org and midcitygraw.org are all the organizations that I'm a part of. Um, and we, you know, all three of us have social media accounts. Mid-City Redevelopments is probably the most active, but follow all of us um, if you want to know what's happening in Mid-City. And, you know, events are what they are these days. Right. But we might be having... Um, we might be having a white light night, and we are also going to be having uh, a blight boot camp, which Matt has spoken at before, so he might be expecting an email cool. from me soon. Cool. We'll be announcing that this Saturday, which this will be after that. <laughs> um, and we'll be having our second iteration of that this fall, uh, probably virtually, which we're going to be really okay. excited about. Very so. cool. Well, Marley, again, thank you so much. Of course, it has thank been you for having me. Pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. Thank you again so much to Marley and really sorry that I kept you so long. Hopefully your dog does not get upset if you are late picking her up. Hope you enjoyed hearing about the great work that Marley is doing. It's very cool to hear about some of the behind the scenes things that she's doing and how things work. So thank you, Marley, for that and for your travel expertise. That is always valuable and fun to hear about. Thanks for tuning in to this episode and thank you to my sponsor for this episode. It's Raising Canes of Central. Great restaurant, great food, great people. One love. See you on the next one.